Welcome to What the Health Podcast, where we help you lead a happier and healthier life by offering a wide range of health and wellness news and insights. I'm John Salak, your host. If you like what you hear, be sure to visit our news site at wellwellusa.com and sign up for our weekly news blasts. Now, let's get started with the show. Going to college is a blast for many young adults. It is a life-changing period where they experience new freedom, meet new friends, start to explore the wider world, and maybe even learn something. About 2.5 million young people go through this ritual every year as freshmen. But it is also a trying time for many. New freedom also means new responsibilities, like doing laundry, managing time, eating right, staying healthy, remembering to get toothpaste, dealing with roommates and distractions, just plain looking after themselves, and oh yes, getting to class on time. They are doing all of this or trying to in a totally new world. They are no longer surrounded by friends and family or a high school support system that in many cases is designed to proactively reach out and provide help when it's needed. Effectively, they are on their own for the first time in their lives. Many of them are both excited and homesick at the same time. Now, most students eventually meet these challenges with success, even if they still tend to bring home their unwashed laundry at breaks. The transition for other students, however, is more difficult. Some of these students have designated special needs, while others may not be prepared socially or emotionally to immediately handle the new world they're entering. Yes, colleges and universities have services to help these students succeed, but their legal obligations and outreach are far different than what these students experienced in high school, especially if they had supportive, highly engaged parents at hand. For students with challenges, the inability to successfully transfer to college life can come with consequences that go beyond simply flunking out. It can leave physical and psychological scars. So what specific challenges do these students face, and how can they and their parents better prepare for a successful transition to college life? Our guest on this episode of What the Health is an authority in this field and is ready to serve up some answers. So welcome to, again, this session of What the Health and our podcast. And right now we're going to introduce our guest who has a tremendous experience in really the sort of challenges students and maybe their parents face in moving on to college. And that individual is Alyssa Capillary. Alyssa is with New Frontiers in Learning, which is a great group, and we're very familiar with them. So I want to welcome Alyssa to our broadcast and have her just tell you guys a little bit about herself and what New Frontiers does and what their mission is. So, Alyssa, welcome, and give us a little background on yourself and New Frontiers. Thanks so much, John. Yes, I have been with New Frontiers for the last four years or so. My background is primarily in special education, specifically with individuals with disabilities, emotional, behavioral, all that fun stuff. I taught for a minute before I realized that there are a ton of skills that we expect our students to know, but we never explicitly instruct them on how to do. And so the big question gets posed as to how can you hold someone accountable for what you didn't provide? And that's when I discovered that New Frontiers does just that with a very comprehensive and customized individualized approach. We are able to address a lot of the challenges that life can throw your way and leave our clients with tools that allow them to tackle challenges in whether their academic life, social, general life management, 
and then even further in their career. Now, I know we're going to address sort of students going off to college for the first time and how they and their parents deal with it. But just to get a full scope, New Frontiers deals with both college-bound students or students in college and also high school students and, and middle school students. Is that correct? Correct. I, I would say our range is from 7 to 70 plus. Anyone who is encountering any type of challenge or has some type of behavior they'd like to alter, we find a way okay. to work. That, that pretty much would cover everybody, but I know it's a little more specific for you guys. So we're talking today about college. It's August, and a lot of students are either off to college or just about to go off to college. So it's really an exciting time for students and their parents, but it also presents a lot of challenges for these students. Does it go beyond just being homesick or a little nervous? Is that correct? Oh, most definitely. We're sending students off into a new environment, and they don't have a frame of reference for it. Right. College is a big ask, not necessarily just because of the increased rigor of academic work. Mm -hmm. We're asking them to level up in that way, but at the same time, manage their own schedule, manage all of their social relationships, foster new ones, strengthen them, make sure that, all right, we're fed, we're clothed. And all of that is within the realm of being hygienic and taking care of ourselves. It's not just, oh, I'm going off to college. I'm going to learn things. It's, I'm going to go off to college and then also juggle all of these things that I've never had to do independently as well. Are some of these challenges a little more serious than others? Definitely. I would say that when it comes to the most challenging issue that everyone's facing is it's that different landscape, right? And being able to truly be that architect of that space and direct course in life. And obviously, if we have not acknowledged that it is a different landscape where we struggle with creating that structure, the consequences of not setting yourself up to be successful can be quite grave. So all of those executive functions, skills that organization planning, prioritization, time management, and even just self-regulation, self-monitoring challenges, if not identified and supported, can lead to a very difficult time in transitioning to school. And why do you think students sort of face these challenges? Are they simply not prepared for them? And this kind of fits into my next question. Are certain students more susceptible to challenges, more susceptible face challenges, some challenges more than other students? Well, I'd say that's a bit twofold, right? So some are, you know, they're they're not aware that it's going to be different or the realm of how grave it's going to be of a departure from what they're used to. And so part of that is lack of awareness. And then other times it's coming from a skill deficit where if they haven't had to flex that muscle before, how do you know that it's weak, right? And so in all cases, though, there's a lack of being able to identify the current landscape and readily adapt into something that is going to yield a, an outcome that we're looking for. We see sometimes with that flexibility, it sometimes it's a I can't envision doing something a different way, as in I can't identify it. And then other times there's a lot of anxiety and, and fear that also comes that of, oh my goodness, I, it, it's scary to do something new. And not being armed with the tools to support that, that can be very difficult. I was talking to a teacher at a private school in New York. I had not heard this term before. You may have. And he said they have a lot of students who are basically all ready to go to college academically, but they're not socially or emotionally ready to go to college. A number of them, not all of them, of course, because parents have sort of taken all the challenges away from them. They've actually snowplowed, he used the term, 
roadblocks so that these students weren't prepared. That may be a oversimplification. I'm sure it is. But is that sort of an element that parents aren't making their children aware of what they may be facing or letting them deal with some challenges earlier in life? I know it's probably more complex than that as well, but is that an element? I've definitely heard that phrase before. And, you know, on (laughs) one end, right, like, you know, who would like to watch someone suffer? If I can eliminate that, Mm -hmm. I would want to. But I think there's also something to acknowledge about, not necessarily that we haven't prepared them. I like to look at what are the opportunities that were available to prepare an individual for this new context where we have to, of course, acknowledge that, yes, There are opportunities that if we give them the chance to practice now before they go and the stakes are really low, you can intervene once you start seeing things go off the rails without too much of a consequence. But we also have to look at that COVID impact, right? There are a group of kids that only ever witnessed something being done for them, but now they are in a position where they need to do for themselves. But there's that missed opportunity of those chances to do with. And an example I, I like to think of very recently uh, that I encountered with a client, which is something as simple as like going to return a shirt that you realize, okay, I, I don't want this. Previously, years passed when they were younger, they didn't, it wasn't going to fit them. Mom returned the shirt. She went mm-hmm. there, she, she brought it back. And then there was a span of a few years where it was, oh, you know, you just, you throw it in the mail and magic happens and now it goes. But now here this individual is presented with the shirt. Oh, go drop it off at Macy's, his mom says. So simple, right? But he's never mm-hmm. done that before. And so now it's breeding this anxiety of like, well, how do I do it? What are the steps that I don't know? And the fact that we don't know is what creates that heightened and sense of urgency and then poses the issue. Those that struggle with executive functions can present definitely more difficulties with transitioning to school. Mental health also impacts because we know that stress impacts cognition. And even the thing that you might know how to do under the certain circumstances might not allow you to do it. But I would say when it comes to preparing individuals to go, it's about highlighting the areas that they haven't necessarily had the opportunity to practice to even see, oh, is that going to be an area of struggle for me? It might not. We might just full steam ahead. Great. But if I never get the chance to flex those cognitive muscles. How would I know? You mentioned COVID. It's shutting down a lot of society and especially schools. You see this as a contributing factor to, I don't know, lack of development or, or not giving students the chance to sort of practice these skills. Is that correct? I would say so. I think if you look at every interaction as an opportunity to practice a skill, when those opportunities were not available to you, you had less chances to practice. I think we see this a lot socially as well. We talk about academics when we go out to school, but then we also talk about, all right, you are now alone, living by yourself, surrounded by strangers. How do you build yourself a community? There was this time when everyone was virtually learning where they didn't have those small little moments of acknowledgement of personhood that they would if they were in the school building. You can think back to when you yourself were in school, you go to the class, you line up outside of the door, maybe chit chat with someone who's standing next to you. When you enter the classroom, you sit down, someone says hi to you, you ask someone for a pencil. For a good chunk of core development time, they were sitting in a Zoom room waiting to be let in. Mm -hmm. And now we're putting them physically in a dorm and everyone 
is waiting to be let in because they didn't have that opportunity to practice of how to open the doors for other people and, and to engage. So I think that also has increased the level of anxiety surrounding cohabitation and living that way too. It's just that little thing that doesn't, you don't think, oh, that's going to impact someone's academic right. performance. But look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? If you're not having your bucket filled in one area, that lack is manifested in a difficulty somewhere else. High schools are very proactive in identifying students who may face particular challenges, whether it's a physical disability or an emotional disability. At least they are more aware now than they were, say, 10, 20, 30 years mm -hmm. ago or 40 years ago when I was going to school. Do we see certain types of students? Is it a student who has an identified challenge that is facing most of these problems? Or are there a lot of students who are just not aware of, man, what I'm going to face? Or maybe their parents aren't aware of what I'm going to face emotionally, academically, in terms of just getting themselves to class or making sure they have toothpaste or something like that? I'd say the unfortunate answer is it's a little bit of both, where I'd like <laughs> okay. to be able to say that, yes, if we have a very clearly identified population that we can automatically go support them. But for a lot of individuals, they don't notice that this is an area until they're asked to perform. And that's when you know, right? It's okay. if I was doing laps in just a 20-foot pool, and now I'm asked to do laps 50, you know, 50 mm -hmm. foot, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I've never done that before. I was really good at doing the shorter sprints. Right. Now I'm asked to do more for longer. And boy, I realized my system is not transferable. We have tools and we have strategies and we use them within a particular context. But if we don't see any issue with it in that context, we think it's ironclad. We don't Got realize, it. ah, this only works because of X, Y, and Z factors are in place to allow it to work. But then when you pick it up and you drop it somewhere else, you run the play again, and yet it's not putting the same amount of points on the board. You're like, hey, what's going on here? Without a doubt, individuals with certain learning differences and communication challenges and mental health definitely experience this difficulty, but it's all, they've been identified as having mm -hmm. a need for support. And so they're able to advocate a little bit more readily because there's some type of documentation where it's like, okay, mm -hmm. I've, I need this. Let me present it to you. But for a lot of individuals that have never struggled before and mm -hmm. now are encountering a difficulty, that's a big kind of questioning of self of like, oh, I, I thought I was good at school, but I'm not doing well now. So this thing that I, I, I hung my hat on as an identity marker of I'm a good student, that, that's not me anymore. So who am I? What am I good for? What do I do? And then that's creates a whole host of other issues. Is a stigma attached to students or individuals facing with disabilities of mental health or physical? Do these other students who basically went through high school without a lot of difficulty and now they face difficulties that are beyond, I'm just homesick? You know what I mean? Or, yeah, I really got to set my alarm to get to class. And why the heck did I schedule an 8 a.m. class? That was silly. Is there sort of a stigma attached to all of a sudden these students may need extra help or need some extra support? that maybe parents or even the students themselves don't want to ask for, don't know how to ask for? One thing I'll say about these generations that are going to school now, to college, that they are so much more prepared to advocate for themselves and mm -hmm. acknowledge that they need a level of support because I think that has been put more on display for them to see through different social media. Like I think about TikTok, right? There's hosts and hosts of 
you know, mm-hmm. mental health TikTok, ADHD TikTok, where people are talking about the things that they are struggling with and mm-hmm. other people are able to witness and go, oh, yeah, me too. I do that or I feel that way. So I, I would argue that the stigma amongst peers mm-hmm. is definitely different than maybe years past because now they're seeking and understanding and belonging around the things that they've just felt but haven't been able to articulate. I think more of the stigma might come from those that haven't encountered that individual in within mm-hmm. a context of struggle. And so they're like, what do you mean? This is hard mm-hmm. for you. It's always been easy or you get up no problem here mm-hmm. at home or you were never late to school before. You never miss this. What's going on? And I think that's where sometimes we look at different expectations that people have of us and wanting to, of course, meet them and feeling confident enough to speak up and advocate. A lot of the clients that we work with, they have been identified as, all right, I need to do something. They have great support systems of individuals who want to help make something easier. But sometimes the idea of what a parent or guardian or even an educator thinks would be helpful to a student is not necessarily what they themselves feel like they would need. And when mm-hmm. they advocate for that, it's we have to create spaces where everyone's able to listen. And we're going to get into in a second what type of resources you see available at colleges and universities, which again are almost assuredly different than what we may see in high school and how they're operated. What can parents and students do ahead of time to better prepare themselves for some of these challenges? We can be prepared by giving opportunity for our students to take ownership of Mm -hmm. things that they might not need to do by Mm -hmm. themselves or with independence at this given moment, but it would be a great chance for them to try their hand at it and Mm -hmm. maybe do with someone and then receive or do on their own and then get feedback. It's a lot easier to say like, okay, we're going to learn how to do laundry right now here while I'm home rather than you calling me from your dorm because you accidently turned everything pink or you shrunk the wool socks and now you don't know what happened and now you don't have any clothes to wear. If we can practice when the stakes are lower, we have two things that come from that. What We have the confidence in the student and being able to do it when no one else is around. But then we also build that confidence on the parent side, on the family. It's like, okay, I know that when I when I drop him off, like he's gonna be good because I've witnessed him being able to successfully execute this task. Seeking out the support early as well is really helpful because thinking about the start of a semester, everything is new, everything needs to be organized. You're getting a lot of information, throwing in a, a person to support you on week one you're not really sure how you're going to use them. You don't know who they are or mm-hmm. it's just another thing that you need to get situated, but you struggle to get things situated. So if we're able to build relationships early and identify who we're going to be our key players in our toolbox, we can know when to call them for to action. 
a lot of the things you were saying just now seemed like executive functions, you know, yes. getting to class, doing your laundry, and I'm not scoffing at any of this. What about students who may be facing some emotional challenges or extreme emotional challenges going away? Is there some way to begin to help them prepare for that transition where they're not going to have that emotional support system around them? For sure. I think building that metacognitive blend is super, super important because you have to be aware of yourself in a given space. You need to be able to take a, a minute and get a read of like, okay, how am I doing? What am I doing? What do I need to be doing differently? Do I need anything? And waiting to build that skill when you're there and you feel like the world's on fire, mm -hmm. everything is extreme. Something that I always advocate for those that I support to work on is building out that self-reading scale with whether, you know, beforehand or mm -hmm. not in the moment of crisis. So that way you can kind of identify, all right, what am I like on my best day? What am mm -hmm. I like when I am lowest of the lows? What does that look like? What does that feel like? And then also being able to identify what is reasonably an expectation of what it is that I could accomplish feeling at that at that reading. If I am able to articulate what a 5 out of 10 looks like, an 8 out of 10, a 3 out of 10, I'm able to better manage myself, my time, advocate for support. I always use the example of if you have the flu, you're not going to be running a marathon, right? You might have the physical capability. Mm -hmm. You might be have been trained and you are then on the other day, ready to go. But capacity is the thing that shifts. And so metacognition, supporting that skill and really fleshing out a system of self-monitoring helps us to identify our capacity in real time. So that way we can adjust our expectations, our actions, our plans accordingly. So that way we don't get to the point where it's like, oh my goodness, everything is way too overwhelming and I need to do a lot of recon and be reactive. And, and organizations like yours can help students prepare for this ahead of time, trying to create that rating system that you mentioned. What about the colleges themselves? Now, almost every college is required, I assume, to have some sort of special support service, disability office. What do they have to offer and how do students engage these services? Yes, all universities are required to have some office of accessibility or disability, but you know, just baseline of accommodations so that everything is IDEA compliant and whatnot and with alignment to making sure that everyone's needs are being met. The one caveat of that is you have to ask for it, right? Mm -hmm. No one is approaching you in college being like, hey, seems like you're struggling here. Like, can I, can I help? There's no expectation of that. Sometimes you get really great professors that notice a mm -hmm. dip. But then again, that's relying on you going to a, a school whose size allows you to be in a class where your professor knows your name. You're not on this massive mm -hmm. lecture hall. So there are those offices that allow for a student to get their accommodations, support the advocacy of communicating that with the professors, but also at the same time, it's up for the individual to really make sure that they are put into action, right? I can have a note taker required for my class. And if I ask the professor for it and they say, okay, I'll get to it. And they don't, the Office of Accessibility isn't knocking down their door unless I go to say, hey, I've been asking for this. It's not there yet. 
other schools are also putting together supplemental programs because usually when it comes to those Office of Accessibilities, there's a very rigid kind of protocol in securing mm-hmm. your accommodations. You need certain testing, neuropsych evaluations, documentations from therapeutic professionals, and that can be difficult to secure and get all together and it's a lot more paperwork. So there are a lot more universities that are putting together either as an add-on, as an add cost, you can request to be have interviewed and have your student be a part of, but then also more kind of like free coaching options. I, I know I personally, we've been consulting with a few universities in the Northeast to support the development of transition and student success coaching programs, which is really, really awesome because the support is definitely needed. And we are seeing just more and more of that light bulb moment of, okay, yes, they have an advisor, but the advisor is only able to help so much. But as we're still assessing the depth of the need of student populations, right, they they have to figure out all right, what's the capacity in which they can support internally and where they need to arm students with resources elsewhere. It sounds like there might be a differentiation between students who, going into college, have already identified challenges or disabilities or emotional issues that they have to deal with and may have been quantified in some way, to students who we were talking about a few minutes ago who are all of a sudden in college and it's a little bit more than being homesick. For whatever reason, they're just getting overwhelmed. I assume these students are going to face more challenges in certain ways because the other students are already registered or quantified, their problems may be quantified, and they may be used to being proactive in requesting help, where these other students, to me, it seems like they may be at risk for not knowing how to go about that. No, it's definitely a possibility. I think you are used to the thing that you have established practice for, right? If I am always used to going to the restaurant and telling them, hey, I've got a severe dairy allergy, no cheese, I don't think twice about it. I just, just, the spiel flies out of my mouth and regardless of who I'm dining with, they're like, oh, you really got that down. Of course, I have to say it every single time. But if you are not in practice of even or even not even having that full awareness yet as to what support would be beneficial to you, it's really hard to articulate the type of health, the help that you're going to need. I see that a lot when I meet clients for the first time. They're like, I, I know that sometimes I need to ask for help, but I don't know what to ask for. I don't know what would be helpful in the moment. I don't know what it is in that I could ask for. So that's where that, that metacognitive piece is so important. Those that are working on trying to best identify the parameters of their challenges, having someone in their corner is always really beneficial because they serve also as a second set of eyes and someone to help keep track of, okay, this is difficult, this context, what about this one? Okay, no, and really help with that self-assessment and then also the direction of seeking out what is the best support. That's also the issue. We don't always identify support that is based, that's specific for different areas. We just go, okay, here's your advisor. We don't tell the students that the advisor is only good for a handful of things. We Mm -hmm. just hammer home, you're going to have an advisor because when you think K-12, you have a guidance counselor and the guidance counselor covers a lot more ground on that level of schooling, but they don't know that it's different. And again, it's been a little while since I've been in university, though my daughter graduated a while back. Advisors in college and universities 
to me, always seemed to lean towards academic advice. Depending on the advisor, some would take more interest in you. And sometimes you'd have an advisor, but you'd connect to a dean or associate dean or some professor more readily. But technical advisors at universities and colleges tend to be academic in their focus, correct? I mean, they don't seem to be proactively going out there and checking on someone's emotional temperature or well-being. Correct. Usually that's for academic planning, making sure that you're taking the classes that you need to check off the credits towards your degree structure. Mm-hmm. And they can help with advocating for communication with different professors and whatnot. But they're not going to sit down and really hanker in and be like, okay, how are you studying? Why is it not going well? Mm-hmm. What's a different way for you to put together that paper? That's not necessarily the role that they situate themselves more in an administrative space which is an important space to be in. But then what happens when you do have struggles in Mm -hmm. other areas? How do you know where to go? Without mentioning any colleges or universities, is there a way for parents and students to identify or assess how well a university handles or can provide these services? Because certainly everyone looks at an academic standing. They look at branding in a university. I have a young nephew just went away to school and he went to a very good school. I'm not going to mention it, but he was obsessed with going to a school that had a big sports program as well. Those sort of things got in front. But I guess unless you're super attuned to it, you, a student or their parents may not really try and assess how well special services are delivered. Is that fair? And if it is, how do you go about assessing that if you're a parent or student and you want to make sure the best is available or a really engaged department is available? Of course, because obviously when we go through the college process, we are looking to make ourselves an attractive applicant, but the schools are also looking to make themselves an attractive choice. And so, you know, when you're trying to make the decision, we get the polished presentation of this is what the school offers. And that's where we really have to dig a little bit deeper. I would say one thing to look out for is just accessibility to that support staff. Mm -hmm. Can students go and make appointments readily? Do they allow for walk-in meetings or do you have to have other very rigid, like strict scheduling parameters? Because I can tell you, if you are struggling in any of these executive function areas, sometimes making the appointment, like physically, like scheduling it and identifying when, where, and actually showing up, that's part of the challenge. And so I might not even get to the point of being able to access the support if Mm-hmm. It's true that that is really difficult for me. And so looking at, all right, who's on the school's team? What is available in terms of just baseline resources that all students have access to? Those that are more exclusive in terms of either have to submit an application or be selected. And then also just in terms of if there is any type of conversations that we can have beforehand with that staff. I always advocate for that. If you can get on the phone or schedule a meeting with someone in an office of accessibility or hear more information like right from the mouth of someone who's going to be doing that student success coaching, that I think gives you a much better idea of the level of support your student will be able to receive. We have plenty of students that they have supports through our organization. They also have supports through campus and just because they have the someone identified as okay this person is going to be there for me 
It doesn't mean they're always available at the time that they need them to be available. And so on paper, it looked like, okay, this might be a really great supportive space for me in action. Maybe not. As much face time as you can get with any, any professional in any of those offices is always helpful. Are there any rating systems for this, for these particular areas, these services? I've never heard of them. I personally have not either. I'm sure someone somewhere <laughs> doing a really great archive and okay. documentation. And I'd right. place if anyone wants to share, that'd be great. But a lot of it, it's not just a one size fits all. It's which school is going to have the best supports for yeah. me? Mm. Because it's not just, okay, I have accommodations. Accommodations is universal. It's mm-hmm. who's going to be able to best provide me with the things that I'm going to need to be most successful here. And I assume also part of the equation is the culture of the university or college. And I don't mean culture versus good or bad culture. It just is a large university of 50,000 students the right environment for a particular student versus a university of 5,000 or 10,000. I assume that also can come into play. I know it's not the only factor, but not that a large university can't be accommodating, but smaller ones, there may be more attention. Oh, for sure. I think also when we look at size, we're really looking at visibility and accessibility of staff. Mm -hmm. If I am going to struggle with identifying when I need support and Mm. accessing all the people, it'd be helpful for me to be in a space where I can really quickly at the end of class ask the professor, hey, you have five minutes, rather than have to use a whole host of executive function skills that I'm I'm not strong. (laughs) I don't have as my strong suit to even create the opportunity to seek out support. I also think looking globally at the universities, what they're offering as baseline for all students is very important. If they've identified that the whole school population has this need and we're building it in to their education, that's great because they're acknowledging the holistic aspect to education where it's not just, okay, here's the content. Mm-hmm. If I can support that, great. If they're looking to support the whole individual. That to me is a really great green flag. Dorm advisors, do they get any additional training on identifying problems? From what I remember, the RA was just making sure that everyone wasn't doing something weird in their room or they'd brought in seven kegs of beer and they were trying to drink them all at once. Are RAs more tuned to what may be happening on our emotional level or is that just too much to ask? Well, I think on some level they are definitely giving that staff some type of training, whether that's a weekly workshop or something like that. But I think the main thing to remember is that the RA is also a student. And while, yes, they are Mm -hmm. responsible for whichever floor, building, whatever, they're also responsible for themselves and their education, right? They are Mm -hmm. are a part-time RA, full-time student. They're also moving their own goals forward, and they have their own host of challenges. And so putting all your eggs in the basket of them can be a bit problematic because they might not necessarily be equipped to support them. Same when we think about looking at other academic supports on campus, either the writing center or the tutoring center. A lot Mm -hmm. of the times on campus, that's staffed by other students. And it's not to say that's not effective and that's not helpful. It's just that if you have identified that you have a certain learning difference and difficulty in processing information, you might want to be receiving support from someone who understands those challenges, right? At the end of the day, the tutor, the writing support, they're experts in just the content 
mm-hmm. because they've taken that class before or they've been identified as being well-equipped on the technical skill end. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they have a firm grasp on learning. And that's even true for professors mm-hmm. when you think about it. When we are looking at all of the classes that someone might take and who's teaching the classes, a lot of the times the professors are there because they love their content and they're really interested in it and they want to share that with you. Not every professor is an expert in learning, in pedagogy. They're an expert in their field. And that's the main difference a lot of the times we don't realize when it comes to high school and college. Your English teacher in high school, yes, has that expertise of English, but they also have the expertise of how to present content Mm -hmm. and how to check for understanding and build meaning because they have the degree in education. Depending on the the subject that you're learning about, your, your given major, you might be in classes with individuals who, you know, yes, they are trying to communicate information that is understandable, but they might not necessarily always know right off the bat how to make it accessible to you. And that's where the self-advocacy is really important. That makes perfect sense. Is there some general advice or things that parents, and again, students should be thinking about? If you're saying, hey, two or three things you want to focus in on as you make this transition at a higher level, because then they have to dig deeper, what would those things be? Or is it beyond being that simple? I would suggest, I think it's a little bit of both. I feel like I'm giving you these answers. But first off, I would make sure that everyone knows who their resources are on campus. I think it doesn't hurt in any way to build out a little bit of a resource matrix where I have clients do this all the time where it's like, okay, we're making this chart. We're identifying who is this person? Where are they physically located in terms of their office? How do you contact them in terms of phone or email? And identifying what is the nature of support they can offer. Because what we do know is when we are stressed, we are not necessarily thinking with the most clarity ever. You know, you have to leave the house, you're running late, you can't find your keys and they're right in front of your face, but you didn't see it. Your brain did see it, but you didn't process it in a way that was helpful to you in that moment. We want to make sure that we build out and understand who all of the potential supports would be before you even get on campus. So when you are encountering a a challenge or, you know, you are very overwhelmed, you don't have to do the work of identifying, oh, my goodness, like, what am I going to do? Who am I going to call? You just kind of look at your your matrix and go, okay, this is this kind of problem. Okay, there we go. I contact this person. Great. It removes the the barrier to access that might get put up when we are in a heightened state of stress. So that's one. The other thing that I'd say that would be really helpful to support someone getting ready to go is to really take a good look at what are all the expectations that lie ahead of us, not necessarily just within, you know, academically, like what is it going to mean for you to be a good student, but also really parceling out what does it mean to live independently? What are all the things that we're going to have to take care of ourselves socially? How do we navigate through social situations that, and when we're expected to be an adult? Like beyond just, you know, making friends, but also navigating difficult situations and, and conversations, reading the room, meeting new people, because we're going to be in spaces that we have not been in before. And whereas you know, when you're younger, if something is not going well, you can kind of 
bring in the big guns of like a teacher or a parent or, or a guardian, someone like that, you now have the expectation that you're going to step up to the plate and handle it. Knowing what it and, and really taking the time to think about what all of those potential scenarios could be and kind of coming up with a barometer of how confident we feel and being able to master like do I have a game plan here can be very helpful because it's all about creating that frame of reference we don't know what we don't know if we don't think about it we're definitely (laughs) not doing anything to make sure that we that we that you know we even are aware of what we don't know so that is also very helpful I think seeking out any type of connections that you can make beforehand with any university staff would be really great making sure that they have a very clear system of communicating with family. Like, what is that going to look like for us when you are no longer within our home? How how often am I going to be communicating with you? How do you want to let me know if something is not going well? Because when something's not going well, it's really difficult to to tell someone. Mm-hmm. Real, you know, revealing vulnerability is hard, and so that's where you know, I think a lot of the times that self reading scale can be really helpful because. When you have someone sharing space with you, you see them. And even if they don't say something, you can see something. When they're however many miles away and you don't get to talk to them every day and you don't have that same visibility, you might not necessarily have that idea of what's going on or if something's going wrong. But it's so much easier for me to pick up the phone and say or text you saying like, hey, like three out of five today and you have a completely clear idea as to what that looks like for me rather than me getting on the phone and saying, hey, I'm having a really hard time and let me recount all of the things that are not going well and how I'm feeling. That I don't know if that makes sense. No, it, it makes perfect sense. And I know these issues are much deeper and require a lot more digging and understanding than we can provide here. But hopefully this is a jumping off point. And a lot of parents are already aware of this and students are aware of this. But hopefully it's been a jumping off point for people who may not have thought of all of these things to begin digging deeper because you have been there and you see this on a daily basis, what helps students succeed and and enjoy and get the most out of their college experience. So we want to thank you, obviously, for spending time giving us your insights. And we want to encourage everyone. We provide contact information for Alyssa and New Frontiers right after this. If you have additional questions, you want to explore what New Frontiers can do, the website and the contact information is there. So Alyssa, thank you very much. Happy to chat. All right. It's really important information and any opportunity to be part of the discourse is, is always great. So thank you. Before we dish out some health hacks, we want to remind everyone that members of our well-being community can enjoy hundreds of exclusive discounts on health and wellness products and services from our affiliates. These deals cover everything from supplements and fitness equipment to organic foods, pet care products, household goods, and more. Now, joining our well-being community is easy and free. Just visit wellwellusa.com, go to Milton's Discounts on the pull-down menu, and you'll see the sign-up sheet. Enjoy. Health Hacks So you're about to go off to college, or maybe you know someone who is, and maybe they're dealing with some unique challenges or conditions. How do you prepare? It's a job for both students and their parents. The first thing to do is get a handle on what these challenges are before going off whether they are distinctive special needs or something else. Two, get as comfortable with the particular college environment as possible ahead of time. Visit, learn about the surrounding communities and what it has to offer, so that when the new semester begins, the freshman in question is not going through a cold dip shock. Three, 
Before the new year begins, connect to the college's special services office. Learn what they have to offer and learn how they work. Register with this office as needed. 4. Remember, students need to be proactive in obtaining support. College facilities and personnel are not obligated to seek out students with special needs or circumstances. 5. Try to pick a roommate, a dorm, or an environment that is supportive or understanding to a student's special circumstances. 6. Create a plan to react in an emergency, whether that involves connecting with people on campus, parents getting to campus in an emergency, or even being able to arrange transportation home for a student. 7. Consider third-party support as needed to help the student make a successful transfer and get the most out of their college experience. There are several groups and consultants available. You can find them on the internet. Okay, thanks for joining us for this edition of What the Hell. We'd also like to thank our guest, Alyssa Capillary of New Frontiers, for joining us. If you'd like to reach out to Alyssa directly or to learn more about the work at New Frontiers, please visit the group's website at nfil.net. That's nfil.net. So, thanks for listening to this edition of What the Health. We hope you'll come back and join us again. Thanks for listening to this episode of What the Health. Looking for more feel-good news? Just visit our news site at wellwellusa.com and sign up for our weekly news blast. And if you enjoyed this episode and would like to help support our podcast, please share with others, post it on social media, or leave a rating and review. Until next time, keep yourself on that pathway to a healthier, happier you. you.